when I was in my second year of teaching, I was still fairly green, still fairly scared by the whole notion. And I started working at a centre where part of their practice was to do a program, uh, PMP, Perceptual Motor Programming. It was a very structured program. It involved having the children all sort of stand in lines and then walk along a beam and then stand in another line and do something else. And, and there were a, a good number of claims made about the program that it would um, increase their learning, that, you know, certain it unlocked sort of certain synapses in their brain. There were yep. sort of huge claims made about it. And I had a group that were fairly challenging that year and they didn't respond well to the program. Oh. Having to wait in those lines for that amount of time drove a couple of them insane. They, a couple of them just ran off. Yep. Like they just went and hid in, in the cubby house and wouldn't come out. And I spent half a session just trying to coax this child out of the cubby house. And so it sent me on a bit of a, a course of looking at what's the real research evidence behind this idea that, you know, PMP yeah. does all the claims. So I'd had a bit of a dig around. I found a couple of articles and, and basically the article said it doesn't. It doesn't do anything that it claims. And even at its lowest level, the idea that it teaches physical skills, there's better ways to teach physical skills. And some of those ways are just letting them play, yep. um, just letting them climb stuff. They learn those physical skills anyway. And then any concept that it unlocks these reading areas of their brain is just bumpkin. There's, there's no evidence for that whatsoever. Yep. So I, I talked to the other teacher I was working with at the time and, and told her and said, look, you know, I, I don't think this is working for me. And, uh, you know, I've, I've read the research around this and it says that this isn't worth its time. And and her response shocked me and, and made me think for a number of years, and I still think about this fairly regularly. She said, oh, well, research can say anything. You can find research to back up any concept. Oh. So, you know, I'm not going to take Basically, I'm not paying any attention to that. And I, I had wow. no response. I was sort of flawed. Yep. And for a long time, it stuck with me because I've, I've tried to think how I might better respond to that. And probably the best response I have come up with is this idea that um, teachers are really proud of the fact we've got university degrees. Yep. And, 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 you know, at one level that makes us professional. And, and if, if being a professional doesn't mean that you're engaged with the research and you respond to the research and you respect the research, mm. then what does it mean? Yes. You know, if, if you go and you read research and you write essays and you understand it to graduate uni and then just teach how you feel and believe any claim that anyone makes, I, I think that really undermines yep. the profession. Mm. That's the best response I have to that. But wow. it, um, it, it shocked me. Yeah, response at the that's time. actually really interesting. Um, and just, I suppose, me thinking um, about this is, you know, I suppose in my first few years, I kind of, you know, listened to the more experienced teachers mm. and, and focused on my practice and, and things. But then more recently, or, you know, probably most of the, you know, the, the last few years of my teaching, you know, we've been very much encouraged to complete readings, do some mm. research, but also to be teaching and, and our practice should be up to date with what the research is saying mm. at the moment. So I would say that, you know, from my perspective, we're definitely more on having to use the research yeah. in our classrooms. Yeah. yeah. And I think that leads us to where our major theme for today yeah. is, and that's a, a look at the research that's behind uh, Hattie's work. So yeah. we're primarily looking at um, visible learning, a synthesis of over 800 meta-analysis relating to achievement. Hattie's white book, for one of a better way of describing it. Um, and, and, it and there's a lot of data in there and and... 
I think it's made a real change. It's shifted the conversation in teaching a lot, like you say, Kate, yep. to, to being one that's more focused on the research yep. and, and, you know, a, a really solid look at what research outcome means. Yep. Um, so that gave us our big question for, um, for today's podcast, which is what is a sensible way of looking at Hattie's findings? Um, I, I think there's a bit of sort of, so he's, he's got some really great findings. But there's a little bit of hearsay around it, I think, and, yep. and you know, very few people really go back to the the fundamental research yep. and, and look at that, which is why I want to look at the the white book today, yep. which is the numbers, the figures, the the diagrams, mm -hmm. rather than the way it tends to get implemented yep. in the classroom. Which would be interesting a bit for, uh, from my perspective mm -hmm. because um, being in a classroom that you know at, at a school that has lots of things, you know practices kind of from Hattie, you know, the visible learning and, and you know, having explicit learning goals and things, mm. you know, I'm more being on the implementation yep. end rather than on the numbers and the data. Yeah. End, so, yeah. yeah. And I think the, um, the the way it's implemented and one of the most obvious and visible ways it's implemented is that writing the yep. goal on the yep. whiteboard at the yep. start of a lesson. Yep. Uh, and there's definitely some discussion to be had around that. But today I'd rather focus on the numbers yep, yep. and what the numbers mean and how you might make sensible decisions based on the numbers. Okay. Um, so I'm going to try and do something really difficult. I, when we discussed today's podcast, yep. I thought it was going to be easy. And then I last night um, went home and started making notes. <laughs> and, and I'm going to attempt to explain my take yep. on, on the, the white book. Yep. Um, but I really need you to tell me when I stop making sense because yep. as I wrote these notes last night, I realised just how easy it will be for me to rock, yeah, go off on a tangent that makes zero sense. Yep. Um, and the first point I think I want to make about the white book um, is that, and this is a really important point that I think a lot of people skip over, is that what he's looking at in this book, what he's measuring, what he's telling you can make a difference, is about measurable uh, learning achievements. Yep. So what you can measure and what you can achieve. So basically what will improve test scores yep. is almost what this book is only about. Right. And even he admits school is about more than that. School is about building communities. It's about educating citizens for the future. It's about, you know, socialisation. It's about a myriad of things. Yep. One of those things is, you know, getting good at tests and learning stuff. Yep. But that's only one of the things. So if, if, if an idea doesn't fit with, you know, Hattie's findings, it doesn't mean it's a bad idea. No. It just means it's not defensible, easily defensible yep. in a, this, in, this improves student outcomes yep. sort of way. Yep. Um, so then we look at what it's actually about and it looks at, um, meta analysis, which is when you take, so, you know, like you, you've read, you know, research around teaching a lot of it's quite small sample size a yes. lot of it's you know we, we took a group of 10 students so it's a bit hard to draw really generalizable conclusions from that so meta-analyses you know gather up all these smaller studies yep. and they account for the differences in the studies through statistical means which i'm no by no means an expert on they account for differences in these studies to make the sample size large enough that you can actually start to make you know generalizable statements this book's actually a step above that so it's and the term he uses in it is it's almost like a meta-analysis of meta-analysis so by the time they've collected up hundreds of thousands of samples of you know interventions and student achievement outcomes you've got a sample size that's really robust and i think you can make 
substantial findings from, yep. and that's that's the fundamental idea of the book. Um, so yeah, it's an attempt to measure sort of through these statistical means what things you can change about a school, change about a classroom that will impact student learning outcomes and yep. only student learning outcomes. Um, so in doing that, they come up with sort of like a number. And obviously the higher the number, the, the more change it makes on students' outcomes. And one of the surprising findings is that pretty much everything makes a difference on student outcomes. So this is one of the reasons why, you know, there's always a flavour of the month is because it works. Yes. Pretty much everything works. Like yeah. you can't try and teach students more and have them learn less. Yes. Almost everything works. So, but then time is precious. Mm. So you've got to make a, a sensible decision about which one of these everything that works is the best everything yes, yes. to use yep. because you can't do them all. No. Uh, and and that's I think that's a really prob- common problem in teaching is too many schools, too many teachers try and do too many things yep. and run out of time and, and run themselves yep, ragged. Yep, yep. And I would totally agree with that. Like it's really tough to yeah. fit everything in. Yeah. But then try all these new things yeah. over, you know, each year, yep. you know, it's, yeah. it's a really tough thing to mm. try and find that balance of. Yeah, I used to regularly get, you know, oh, I've got this great idea. I'm not short of great ideas. <laughs> that's, that's not where the deficit is here. Yep. Um, so then he then gra- graphs out each of these interventions and the lower end is the ones that actually send students backwards and there's only very few of those. Yep. The next one up is um, is in a range where actually the student would have worked this out anyway just given normal development for outcomes. Right? The next one up is this kind of thing is how much achievement you get just by standing a teacher in front of a classroom. You know, there's a certain level of achievement that's got there. And then after that, this is where he sort of says, this is a desirable range. Anything that's above, you know, the, these first three areas yep. is, is really worth looking at. But again, it doesn't mean it's necessarily right. It's just worth looking at and you've got to make a decision about what's the best time time usage. Yep. So if there's something that uses, you know, virtually none of your time and sits in that top range, it's probably a really yeah, good intervention. Yeah, so after that, he sort of does pull out a linking theory and a linking narrative that's sort of overall, and that's where yep. some of this stuff around feedback comes in. That's why feedback is sort of the, the big thing. Yep. But um, it's not the central core of what I think is the most valuable part in the book. What I think is the most valuable part in the book is we've got suddenly a, a really easy-to-access reference of, you know, most of the interventions you could think of in a school and whether they work or not for student achievement, and I want to highlight it again, only for student achievement, not yes, for anything yes. else. Um, so, for example, um, I've marked a couple here. Um, one of the ones that I think is fairly controversial and that I'm really interested in is homework. Homework's yep. a you know, really common controversial yes, issue. Yes, very much so. Um, so the homework actually falls quite low on the scale of interventions. Yep. Um, he has it in this low area that's uh, you know just just sort of, on the line between developmental effects and teacher effects, so yep. it doesn't doesn't go over into the higher end. Um, but what, and that's I love this little picture because it's such an easy reference, right? Yes. But it's worth reading the text that goes with it because this is one of those ones where it's important to understand there's a difference here. Um, that's the overall effect, but there's a different effect for primary and high school students. Yes. So high school students, there's actually a good effect size. Like it actually does make a difference. It's the primary ones that drag that arrow back. Yep. So the argument here is, um, you know, just on a student achievement level, 
homework actually is no good in primary school and is good in high school. Yeah. And if you just take that as your measure and make that decision based on that, that's fine. What I think the reason of the reason I think we've got the question around how do you make sensible decisions is these things don't exist in isolation. The school exists within its community and within the families that are there. Yep. And there's a big demand from families to do homework. Yep. And that's I've got to say the reason that's yep. a lot of the time why we do homework. Yeah. And parents are after more homework yep. rather than less homework. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so you either need to decide are you willing to have the debate with your community mm-hmm. around why homework's not good? Yep. Or is that not worth the time mm. you'll spend having that mm. debate mm. and you just issue some homework? And I think that's what we're doing. Yeah. We, we kind of go, oh, let, let's not have that debate. Yeah. But then easily in my grade six classroom back um, a year, just over a year ago, mm-hmm. with my sixes, I would easily an hour and a half a week yeah. time homework, home on homework. Yeah. You know, and that's just collecting it. Yeah. You know, giving yeah. it out. That's correct. Problem, and that's that? not even, that's even class time. Yeah. That's not even my time at yeah. home correcting it. And so things. you've just spent an hour and a half on something that on here. Mm. Isn't a great intervention. No, exactly. As an hour and a half, you didn't get to spend on an intervention that would have had exactly, a big exactly. And, and it's really interesting for me actually mm. seeing this because it actually these are what my thoughts are around mm. it without even yeah. you know having a look, and that yeah. actually yeah kind of confirms yeah. my thoughts. Yeah. yeah, and but and that's why I love this. Yeah, that's your thoughts and that's your instinct and that's what you feel mm. when you're in the classroom. Mm. This gives you a real real backup. Yeah, this is like definitely. really solid data. Yeah. Um, in, in one way, I like to think of this a little bit like um, the body of knowledge that sits around medicine. Yep. Go with me. This is a difficult analogy. <laughs> yep. I, I nearly didn't bring it up. Um, it's it's there's uh, so when a doctor prescribes you medicine, yep. there's a set of studies behind that that say you know for seventy percent of people this medicine fixes their problem. Yep. But that doesn't mean that doctor should blindly go ahead and give that to everyone. That doctor still needs to make decisions around. In my community, will this, you know, is this the right medicine? With this person, is this the right yep. medicine? It's, it doesn't deprofessionalize their job at all. No. It's just part of the underlying knowledge of that job. And that's what I think sits mm. really well with this book. Yep. So now you've just seen that. It, it's confirmed some of your thoughts yes, around yes. Um, homework. Yep. And, and now you're informed to have a debate mm. either with your print yep. about, well, look, I've spent an hour and a half on this at, at one level or even – even if you don't, even if you decide not to engage in the debate with your print, yep. you're now seeing that and going, yeah, I'm spending an hour and a half. How do I get that hour and a half down so that I can invest it's that in something better? Yes. Because now I'm really sure that, mm. you know, about mm. this thing. And I think there's things, you know, like obviously nightly reading and things yeah. like that that are important, yeah. you know, and, and there's, there's those things. Yeah. But, you know, students aren't going home really interested mm. in like going, oh, I'd love to know about this. And I might yeah. go home and Google it and see, yeah. you know, and, and learning that way. Right, you have this homework all mm. week. Here it is. It's due by Friday and it's yeah. taking out any family time. Yeah. And parents are, you know, having fights with their kids. Yeah. And, you know, and so yeah. it's such a big topic. Yeah. So, That's yeah. some of when yeah. you read the text here, that's yep. some of where where, wow. the, where the sort of negative stuff comes in. Can we put this up on our website? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll definitely images. put a link for the whole yeah. book because it's, it's really worth Because the debate we've just had now about homework, mm. there's, you know, many, many versions of that yep. in yep. here. And it moves the debate on from, um, you know, oh, well, I've got one article that says one thing, I've got one article mm. that says another. He's taken all of those and worked out the average okay. of it. Yep. So you can have... An informed debate around yes. what the research says yep. about achievement, and then you have the more interesting debate: is well, do we still need to do it for other reasons? 
how can I make sure time spent and right? And it's a bit of both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's Best where my ones. thought around, you know, wow. what what yep. the you know intelligently mm. using the findings. Yep. It's not necessarily just going. Well, that's not a good. That's good. That's yep. no good. Yep. It's yep. going. Well, if it's no good, is there still a reason? Yes. You know, should we still do it? How we minimise our time? That that's what matters. Yeah. My thinking. Really interesting. That was yeah. I think between what I've been doing at school mm-hmm. and, yeah, my thoughts and then to yeah. kind of see some of that, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. It's got me thinking there. Yeah. Yeah. We probably should introduce our guest um, who has joined us today. Uh, we've got Michael Victory with us. He's the um, executive officer at the Teacher Learning Network, which makes him our boss. Our boss, yep. yeah. So before he starts, I think I just want to declare up front that everything Michael says today I entirely agree with. <laughs> He's absolutely right Correct. and I yep. have no no, I take no issue with any of his points that he'll be raising this afternoon. <laughs> Welcome, Michael. Terrific, Max and Kate. It's great to be here with you, and we're in furious agreement. <laughs> so, uh, and that promotion is coming away very quickly. <laughs> um, Michael, do you want to tell us about your first engagement with Hattie's work and, and how you've come to know yeah, and understand it? Sure, great question. Um, I think it's probably easy to start with what I think Hattie's impact is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Hattie has changed the discussion in teaching. Um, And I think if it hasn't changed the discussion in teaching in the school you're working with, then it needs to, and it needs to very quickly. Um, So I came across Hattie not long after the book was published, the white book. Uh, In fact, for a long time, my boast was that I was the only person I knew that had actually read the entire book. (laughs) Um, Most people, as you said, Max, quoted selectively from reviews of the book or bits they'd heard. Uh, But because I get the privilege of... um, getting time to read and research in my job, I actually sat down and read the whole thing. Uh, and for me, it has changed the debate in teaching. Um, and as I said, if it hasn't changed the debate in teaching in your school, then it should have by now. Um, and you need to get people in your school to head off and do some reading on Hattie. So that would be my starting point with Hattie. So. Would you would you take any issue with anything that in, in my summary of the book? Do, do you think I missed out on something or was inaccurate in uh, some way? Because there's probably a lot of different ways of reading it. Look, my worry is that we're in furious agreement on yeah. most of the things. <laughs> it doesn't make for a very interesting <laughs> podcast if we're all sitting around saying, yeah, yeah we agree with each other. Um, so, look, uh, all I would say about it, I know you want to focus on the statistical yeah. side of it, so I think that's really important. Um, I'm not a statistician yeah. and uh, I don't have the expertise to contribute to the statistical debate, but I am aware that there are criticisms of yeah. these effect size. Yeah. As, a, as an educator, I don't want to engage in that debate. I'll mm-hmm. leave that to the experts yeah. in that area and hopefully they'll keep going yeah. down. But I think that what we have, you're right, you use the word average and I think it's not a bad mm-hmm. one. He's aggregated and averaged out the effect size of um, all of these analysis. Yeah. And I think what we therefore have is material that we can use with confidence yeah. mm. Um while still being aware that over time they might shift yeah. and change some of those numbers, and I'm absolutely happy for that to happen. Uh, but we can use the numbers in there with some confidence yeah. to engage in the debate we should. So that would be the only thing, just recognising the statistical mm. analysis is problematic. But in my experience of teaching, which extends beyond 30 years now, it is the most profound piece of research mm. that I've come across in terms of its breadth and depth. Yeah. Um, and what I think teachers should take away from it uh, when they engage with it, is that it's incredibly supportive of the work they are doing. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really powerful thing. And that's the only thing I would have added to what you said in your introduction, that it's incredibly supportive of what teachers are already doing and they should take that on board. Mm. That debate around the statistical analysis I think is important because 
um, it's easy to hear someone pick on one element of the book and say, well, the whole thing is useless and throw yeah. it out. But I actually think that's the value of it is that it adds to the scientific knowledge around teaching. And any scientific knowledge is, you know, up for being disproved and improved on and, and further debated. So the idea that this should be fixed for all time is, is ludicrous. And that somebody can keep looking at it and keep picking holes in the things and tweaking it. That, that's to be encouraged yeah. um, in an age where science um, and, and scientific method is being disparaged. I think it's really important that um, we view the, the research around education as an evolving thing and something that we should be proud continues to evolve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I've just uh, done a bit of work on John Dewey's work and what he says, but, you know, it's a bit of a snapshot of Dewey, is that education is life. Yep. Um, and when you think about what that means, and I'm sure some of you out there that are teachers in classrooms, you think, yeah, well, it's a pretty tough life as well. But when you take that education as life, what we have to take away from that is that life is complex. Mm. The relationships in life are complex. Mm. So we have to expect that our work is going to be constantly debated and reviewed and uh, we're going to have to constantly rethink what we're doing. Mm. I think what Hattie does is he says, right, here it is in 2009, which is when the book was first published. Here is a snapshot of what we know mm. about what students achieve in a classroom. Yeah. And I think that's fantastic because yeah. it, it sort of sets a base. Yep. And from there, we can then start discussions. We'll have ongoing discussions. And I'm aware already that there are a lot of criticisms of Hattie's work. Mm. Uh, in fact, I've got some questions about it, um, some criticisms of it based on my own philosophy. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that if we're engaging in that discussion, mm -hmm. isn't that fantastic? Yeah. So as teachers, we're engaging in a discussion which is about our work, which is based on research and evidence mm -hmm. and good information, rather than based on how I feel about mm -hmm. something. Yeah. Which is that story I told at the beginning. Correct. The research can tell you anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that story and, um, you know, people should think about what it means is that um, we do things because we've always done it that way. Mm. So when someone comes to us and says, actually, there's not a lot of evidence mm. that that works and the research says something mm. different, that should spark in us a willingness to go and mm. find out. Because the work we do as educators is so valuable, we should be basing it on something which um, has some substance behind it. Yeah. I was just thinking about some teachers when we started to, you know, change the way our school ran, um, you know, that, that they just did things because it worked the year before, yeah. you know, and so this changed then from the work we did to now thinking about it differently. Some teachers did really struggle and yeah. still probably do struggle. Oh, absolutely. They still want to flick back to the old mode rather yeah. than the new mode and running forward. Yeah. And, Kate, I don't want to underestimate what we're asking uh, people to do because the day-to-day -day work of working with 25 mm. kids or 30 mm. kids or, you know, maybe you encounter 120 kids in a secondary school, is incredibly exhausting. Mm. Oh, it is, yeah. Um, and then to go home and sit down and read a, a really mm. dense book like Hattie <laughs> and change your practice. Yes. I mean, let's face it, you know, you know, it's really difficult. So I guess some of the work we do at TLN is trying to break down some mm -hmm. of the more complex work into bite-sized pieces that yep. people can access. Yes. Um, and they can prompt their thinking. And that's what we're trying to do is to say, look, Hattie is really important. I think in our journal we've written four or five articles about him, yep. uh, which is trying to say to teachers, look, this needs to now inform your practice. Yep. And we understand that it's hard, so we're trying to make it as easy for you as we can. Yep. But, you know, look, I can, my own teaching career was based on a, almost a pre-research area. It mm. was what worked going mm. on. Mm. Um, if you can keep the kids quiet, that's okay. Yep. So, you know, I'm not coming to this with a poll. No, no, I no. know how hard it yep. is. 
But I think that's the challenge for us as educators. We can't say, oh, yeah, that's too hard and leave it alone. We've got to keep engaging with it. Mm. So I noticed, Max, that you kept engaging with that whole thing around PMP. Yep. You didn't just take the advice from, you know, another experienced teacher and put it aside. You kept engaging with it. And I think that's what uh, would be the message out of Hattie's mm. work. We've got to keep engaging with the work we do. Yep. Um, and the other thing I think, Kate, you said, which is really valuable, I think, which is that time is so precious to teachers. Yep. And they are so time poor that it's worth thinking about where we do put our time. Mm. And if we can change something to get a better impact for our students, then isn't it worth doing that? Mm, definitely. And I think that's what Hattie gives us some leads about where we could go. So when you look through the book, Michael, which was there one that really reinforced for you a sort of suspicion you'd had for a long time that maybe a practice that's fairly common or a practice you'd engaged with? was not really supported by the evidence in the way that people had led you to believe or the way you thought? Oh, look, I, I could be really bad here, yeah. but on the way into work this morning, driving into work, um, I saw two sisters, I think they were, in their beautiful uh, uniforms, neatly pressed, obviously, first day of school. Yeah. They had their hats on because yeah. it's summer and, you know, heading off to school and beautiful backpacks and all that sort of stuff. And I looked and I thought there would have been hours gone into that home to make sure those uniforms were beautifully mm-hmm. pressed. And there would have been long debates at the school around the type of uniform yeah. and what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, and it comes to the issue you said about community expectations. Community want to see kids in school mm-hmm. uniforms because it looks fabulous and it's beautiful. And then you go to Hattie and you look at the research and it says it makes not a scrap of difference to what kids learn or how they learn. Yep. And in fact, at... Uh, the secondary level, focusing on uniform, in fact, detracts from the learning experience because mm. teachers spend so much of their time focusing on those things yep. that they never actually get to the learning experience mm. and build the learning relationship. Now, it's a really small example, yeah. and I guess I pick it because I know it's a bit controversial because yeah, yeah. everyone yeah. loves uniforms. Yeah. But that's the thing, isn't it? In in defence of the uniform, that it improves learning outcomes gets pulled out. People honestly try and debate that. And yeah. I feel like now... They're welcome to like uniforms. They're welcome to support uniforms. But I feel it's now indefensible to say that it, it, it improves student outcomes. You yeah. have to give me another reason yeah. now. Yeah. This is something I will hold up at you if you try and tell yeah. me that it yeah. improves student yeah. outcomes. It looks nice. Parents like it. It builds a brand for the school. Those are all. Everyone's the same. Yeah. Those know, are all. No, those are all yeah. welcome debates, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll talk. I'll have that debate with you. Yeah. But yeah. you can no longer bring me. This will improve student learning yeah. outcomes. Spot yeah. on. And, and I think, Max, that's the sort of discussion I want to hear in staff rooms. Yeah. Mm. Let's just be honest about it. We yeah. want uniforms because parents expect it, yeah. and that means we'll keep the students coming to our school rather than another school. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have uniforms. Yeah. Yeah. And let's just be honest about yeah. that. But you're right. Don't say that my kids will get a better VCE result mm. or they'll do better on the NAPME mm. tests because they're in a beautifully pressed uniform. So that's the, that's the shift in yeah. conversation I want to hear. Yeah. Because we can begin then to, to make it a professional conversation yeah. in our staff rooms. And I think that will help teachers as well. Because I've been in too many staff meetings where people have a conversation about something about the school which actually becomes personal mm-hmm. because it's expressing a personal opinion. Yeah. What I think Hattie could do is to shift the debate to say, well, let's talk about what we're trying to achieve and let's talk about what the evidence says we could achieve mm-hmm. if we do X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And then it's less about what do you think, Kate? What do I think, Kate? Well, what do you think about the evidence that we've got, Kate? What do you think about the community expectations? Yep. And let's have the conversation around that. So it could actually really improve the quality of conversation.
conversations we have with each other in our school mm. staff rooms and in our early childhood centres or like adolescent once you're there. Yeah. So yeah. So I guess that's for me was just a little snippet mm. that I think is worth thinking about. Very interesting examples, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's one that yeah, sort of you probably had pre-existing beliefs on yeah. that it confirmed them. Yeah. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'm gonna say I'm the same. It's probably about the third or fourth thing I looked up. Yeah. I wonder what it says about uniforms. Yeah. Because right? oh, that's one that I've ever since I was a student, I've been a bit obsessed with. Yeah. Um, what, what about something where it, it had to challenge your beliefs, something where you had to, um, where you had to go, okay, yeah, you I, know, this is, this doesn't conform with what I actually yeah. thought. Um, this is probably going to take me a little bit away from where you really want to be, but yeah. I have to use it as an example. Um, it, it does come with this concept of feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that struck me reading this book mm-hmm. was that Feedback is not about what I say to you as a student. It's about what the students say back to me. Now, that's probably not new, Mm -hmm. but in reading Hattie's book, what I was struck by was that when we think about the students in our classroom, their Mm behaviour is feedback to me about what's going on. So I know as a teacher what I've done over years and years and years is I have blamed kids for their behaviour. What Hattie's book does is says, well, actually... What you've got to think about is that if students are misbehaving in your classroom, mm-hmm. they are giving you feedback around their level of engagement with what you are doing. Yeah. And to really take that on board is hard, but what it means is that what you're doing is not engaging those kids at all. So there is no teaching going on and there is no learning going on mm-hmm. because teaching only occurs when the person who is being taught says, yes, I'm going to engage with that. Yeah. So if those kids are not engaging, then there is no teaching going on. And I think you do see that in Hattie's section around this a, a number of research areas around sort of classroom management strategies, mm-hmm. different approaches mm-hmm. that you can use. And it's not so much there the statistical analysis, which interests me, but it's his discussion around what the researchers were saying around that. And it really does come to this issue, and I think that's where he gets into his feedback session uh, a bit later on. Um, if the students are not focusing in your lesson, that is feedback yeah. as much as an essay that comes to you, which is badly written, poorly mm-hmm. written, doesn't focus, or a kid that does badly on an app plane test. That is also feedback to yeah. you as a teacher about your success. That is a really difficult mm-hmm. concept to accept as a teacher. Mm-hmm. But I think that's where we now have to engage. Yeah. I don't know, Kate, you've uh, got more recent experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How I'm does that resonate with you? To, I'm just thinking back to, you know, my particularly my last year, um, you know, where I had some students that were – I suppose a bit disengaged and had been for quite a bit of time. So really trying to engage them and make them interested in their own learning was really difficult. So, you know, you did have those moments where they would muck around or, you know, not want to do their work and, and, and it was, yeah, quite difficult to actually make sure they were engaged. But if someone said, you know, said to me, Hey, they're kind of misbehaving because maybe it's to do with a little bit of how engaged they are. I'd be like, Oh yeah. You know, so I'm thinking, you know, going back reflecting on it now yeah it definitely is so we but as a school-wide approach you know we had I suppose individual learning goals and and let students where possible kind of be engaged in their own learning like they could write about maybe what whatever they wanted in maybe whatever form you know as much as possible so or read what text they were interested in rather than me going here read this so we did try as much as possible to engage them at their own level which did you know, most of the time decrease, yeah, some of their yeah. behaviour. Yeah. And it I is think, interesting. Sorry. The other thing about it, I think, Max, is that 
the research by its nature is backward looking. Mm-hmm. So research says this is what has happened in the past. Mm-hmm. So all of the research that Hattie has collected is that's what has happened, obviously, by definition. So it's not a predictor of what will happen, but it's a guide for the conversations. And this is what you said in your introduction. It's a guide for the conversations you now can have in your club, in your staff room, around what we're going to do. So we can't say, Hattie says this, so therefore we do that. Mm. What we need to be saying is, well, Mm. the research that Hattie's done indicates that in the past, X, Y, and Z has happened. So that's a guide for us, but it then becomes the discussion says, well, if we did something a little bit different Mm -hmm. or if we applied that in a slightly different way, it might still be okay for us. So that's the homework debate. If we did homework in a particular way, different to what it's been Mm. done in the past, that would be interesting. It comes to the uniform. Maybe there are reasons why we would do that uh, and in this particular community. That's right. When it comes to the way that we engage with students or the way that we manage their behaviour or the way that we relate to them, there's what's happened in the past, but we still have to take responsibility for what we are going to implement Mm. and Mm. predict. And so that's the other thing I would say Mm. about that research. It's the backward looking, and I don't mean that in a negative way, Mm. but that's what's happened in the past. We're always looking to where we're going. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really important. Which which raises the question if you decide to do something that is not directly supported by what's happened in the past Mm. and you decide, okay, we're going to do it differently, do you then have the discussion that, well, there's an obligation upon us to measure yep. so that we know, so that we can share, so that, you know, we can add to the body of knowledge that exists around teaching? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if I was working in a school and I was uh, leading a school, what I would be saying to any teacher that came to me with an idea is I'd ask them for a proposal and the second or third question I would have to respond to in that proposal is what does Hattie say? You know, what does the research say about yep. what has happened in the past? Therefore, if you're saying that we should implement this in our school, you've got to justify to me why it would work here mm. if the yeah. evidence is showing the effect mm. size has been really low somewhere else. So that doesn't mean I would say no to the initiative, but what I'm asking the teacher to do is to really engage with that idea mm. of what the research says has happened in the past in order that they can plan that the impact in the school would be better the effect size would increase. So that's the way I think about the use of the research. I feel like we've reached that stage in the discussion when we ought to look over there and acknowledge the enormous elephant that's sitting in the corner of the room and, and actually bite him off um, <laughs> and, and talk about class size. Yep. Um, yep. Because this is one of the most uh, debated areas of yep. Addie's mm-hmm. work. Um, so it, I'll start it with a couple of things. Um, when people confront John Hattie himself and say, how come you say class size doesn't matter? His first response is always to say, I've never said that. It does matter. Um, and that's because, remember, we said earlier that everything works. So changing class sizes does work. Um, on the page where he talks about it, it's in that sort of teacher effect area. It's not in the really good sort of, you know, in the, in the really high performing area. Yep. And the other half of this argument is that t- increasing class sizes Sorry, reducing class sizes costs a lot of money. So if you yes. were to go, where do we spend that money? That that's where the argument starts to come in. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. his argument on himself is, I've never said that. But if you're a bureaucrat pulling the levers and you look at this book and go, okay, I can drop class sizes, but it costs me a lot of money, and I only get this little arrow here. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, my my point here around it is, and there's there's a couple of ways of looking at this. Um, but my big point here is, remember this is about increasing 
measurable student outcomes. Yeah. It's not saying, um, as a student, do I feel safe at school? Yeah. It's not saying, um, does my school build a love of learning within me? It's not saying, uh, does it, does my school and my experience of school make me a wise and engaged citizen? And it's not saying, does my school make me feel as though I'm entitled to, to, to be educated and, and to be treated well in this society? Yep. And I'd say smaller class sizes do that. So this is one of those areas where, um, the debate, even if we, and, and I, I acknowledge the contested nature of this, even if we accept that this is on the, the lower effect size. Mm-hmm. I think there's still really good arguments for why lower class sizes are an important aspect of yep. school. And then, and, and so if we, if, if after all the research continues on this area, we're left with a, a similar sort of result to mm-hmm. this, I think there's still really good avenues of argument about why class sizes really matter. Additionally, when you actually start to read the breakdown here, one of the things that he identifies is that um, different sizes of classes lend themselves to different styles of teaching. So if you've got a class of 80, you're lecturing. Yeah. If you've got a class of 30-ish, you're starting to sort of workshop things. You're starting to put yep. students in groups and getting to work yep. their ideas and learn from one another. The when, when you broke down the data here, it appears that when you drop the class size significantly, again, 18, something like that, teachers tend not to make substantial changes in the way they teach, even though when you fall below 20, there ought to be a change in teaching styles again to a more collaborative sort of style. And a lot of teachers don't do that. So when studies on these smaller classes have been done, Mm -hmm. the results aren't huge. And that's as a result of the fact that the teaching styles haven't really changed. So again, that doesn't necessarily say we shouldn't be dropping class sizes. It says go do it in a more intelligent way and think about um, supporting teachers to change their styles Mm -hmm. when, when class sizes change. Um, Michael, would you want to add to that discussion? Uh, look, Max, if I can, before yeah. that, I'm interested in Kate again mm. and her experience. She's got the most recent yeah. experience in a, in a regular school environment. Mm. I'd be interested in her thoughts mm. on having a class before I say anything. Yeah. Um, so, look, with these, the class sizes, mm. um, I've, most of my career, I've had between 25 and 28 mm. or 29 mm. or 30 yeah. in my class. Um, I've even had friends who've actually had up to 33, yeah. which is huge. But what I do notice a difference in my most recent teaching um, just over a year ago, I had, I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm just trying to exactly think, it was between 26 and 28. And what was really difficult because of our school vision in every lesson in reading, writing and maths, we had to sit down, well, not we had to, but we sat down with students in their independent practice. So when they went off and did their reading and worked on their own goals or the lesson goals, we sat down with students individually and looked at their own personal, say, goal in reading and then, you know, how they're going, show me a bit of the texture reading, tell me about it, and then let's make some goals for the next time. Mm-hmm. Now, my chance to see that child again mm-hmm. really was almost once a fortnight because by the time I'd spent a decent mm-hmm. amount of time. Now, if I said, oh, hey, hi, Max, how are you? Yeah. Good. You've read this perfect, great, cool, off you go. Yeah. I'll see you in a week or I'll see you in a few mm-hmm. days. But because I was having that really in-depth conversation – I was pretty much saying to them, I'll see you in a fortnight mm. for reading. Now, for writing, I, I saw them on a needs basis. But in reading, I really struggled to actually have that decent one-on-one time with them. And I could then have group discussions, but that was different again, you know. So 
I, I'd suggest if I had a class of 20 mm. or 19 grade sixes, the stuff that I could have been able to do with them. And on those days where like Melbourne Cup Monday, where we had less students, the stuff that I could actually have on that day was quite interesting. But on the flip side, with 28, you know, we are teaching the same thing and we were doing individual learning goals. But I said just that that, that time with the students, I missed out on, you know, and making sure you spoke to every child every day mm. did get quite difficult. Yeah. And look, it's a great debate to have and we should keep having it. And nothing we say in this podcast today is going to solve no. that debate or anything like that. Um, but I think it is what we have to recognise as educators, it's a really complex debate mm. because yep. what comes into it is what funding is available, yes. what resources are available, teacher workload, mm. the stage mm. a teacher is at their career, the nature of the students that you're teaching. So 25 kids with a disability is mm. not the same as 25 kids from a middle-class background with supportive mm. parents, economic mm-hmm. and physical and social yep. resources to yep. support those children. So when you're talking about class sizes, what type of children are you talking about in that class? Exactly. And I'd love to have this discussion on another podcast if we get the opportunity, but what's our purpose in schools? Mm. What is it we're trying to achieve? If we just want to keep the kids off the street and out of High Point Shopping Centre, then we can put 40 kids in a class and it doesn't matter. Mm. If we want those kids to learn particular content knowledge, then we can probably get away with 30 in a class and we can lecture, as Matt said. But if we genuinely want the teachers to engage in a relationship with Mm. them and to build that student's self-esteem and their understanding of themselves as well as content knowledge, well, how much can you ask of a teacher to do with how many students Mm. on any given day? Mm. So for me, it's a debate which is caught up in workload and resources and mm-hmm. salaries and teacher capacity in the purpose of schools. And so I think that Hattie's research is important. I don't agree with the outcomes that people have taken from it, which is that class size doesn't matter because class size does yes, matter. Yes, Absolutely it mm-hmm. matters. Yep. But it needs to be a nuanced debate around all of those things I've talked about, the nature of the students, the nature of the teacher, the resources that are available you know, the community context in which it's occurring, the needs of the students in particular. I think they're the things that need to be brought into the class size debate. Unfortunately, because we're dealing with a huge system, Mm. often the decisions have to be aggregated up and we need to have an average number of students or an average teacher, da-da-da. And I think that's unfortunate, but that shouldn't stop us having the discussion. And I think it's a great discussion to have. And I love the fact that Hattie's controversial on this issue Mm. because it makes us engage with the debate (laughs) and talk through what's important. And I love that. That's what education is. I suppose when I put those questions around, you know, what else besides accessible um, student achievement is there, is, is my reflection that when I had smaller class sizes, I was more compassionate as a teacher. Yep. I was more engaged on an individual level with the kids. Yep. So it was less, and, and maybe they didn't learn more accessible data in that year, um, but I'd be fairly confident to say they did feel better about themselves as yes. learners they did feel as though the classroom was a place for them um, and they're different things um, and and it's a pity that so much of the education debate has become PISA results and NAPLAN results mm. and things like that um, because there's, there's a lot more to education and, and why we educate than to, to beat other countries in number games. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, look, and I'm really confident. I mean, I think the largest class I was at was about 33 mm-hmm. um, and I'm really confident when I think back now that I was a fabulous teacher for about 12 or 15 of those kids. Yeah. And there'll be 10 of those kids who will say, I learned not a single thing in that year mm-hmm. because I didn't manage to engage with them 
and that was partially a result of class size. Mm. Physically being able to get around, mm. Then mm. you tend to go to the kids who will engage with you. Yeah. And so I think these are the class size in a nutshell. Mm. Yep, you can teach a big class. I did it for 12 months. It was a year 12 class. But I reckon 10 of those kids at least would say I learned nothing in that year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the book like this averages that data yeah. out. So mm. those 10 you hit probably did really well. Yeah. And, and probably accounts for yeah, some absolutely. variation across yeah, the yeah. rest of the class. Yeah. So that's the struggle, I think. That leads us back to sort of where we started, which is with our big question, um, which is what is a sensible way of looking at Hattie's findings? Um, we didn't go into it earlier, but sometimes um, a school may just, you know, blindly pick up some of these mm. things. So I just wanted to return to that question. And we've, we've touched on it a few times already, but um, I'll start with you, Michael. What, what do you think is a really sensible way for a school to use a resource like this book and the findings that come out of John Hattie's work? Yep. Um, look, I think that um, in a school, people need to engage with it at two or three different levels. So a couple of people in the school need to engage with the white book mm -hmm. and need to have a really good understanding of that. Um, a couple of people in the school need to engage with the blue book and the follow-on. So the blue book is about how Hattie's to be implemented. Um, and every teacher needs to engage with Hattie at some level, even if it's reading the Teacher Learning Net Network journal, if it's going to YouTube mm -hmm. clips, if it's, you know, going to see Hattie speak at a presentation, because you need to know about it. The second thing, um, change is huge in schools. Um, and schools are constantly going through change. And I would say before any change to instructional practice or any changes implemented around student achievement in a school, the question needs to be asked, what does Hattie say? Mm. That's the question you need to ask. What does Hattie say? You might disagree with Hattie. That's fine. But you have to go to that and you have to say, what, what does he say about what has happened? Yep. So therefore, how do we plan for the future? So staff, all staff need to engage with it, perhaps at different levels. And secondly, you need to ask the question with instructional practice or with student achievement, what does Hattie say? And that then becomes the beginning of your discussion. Yeah. Kate, what do you think, given this is the, the raw data and yes, the fairly yes, new thing yes, 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 to yeah, come yeah, across, exactly, exactly. what do you think is a sensible way for a school to, um, to, to respond? Look, I suppose I have been on the implementation end, you mm -hmm. know, where we have done, you know, we've got lots of um, ideas from Hattie and mm -hmm. using it in our school on an every, well, you know, in an everyday, um, everyday in our classroom and, and you could come into any class and see that, you know, mm -hmm. these ideas. Um, so it's been really interesting for me now to, with some of the ways that as a whole school focus that we are doing mm -hmm. and whether maybe I agree with it as a teacher or whether I don't, there's mm -hmm. some things that I feel strongly about, but there's also some things, you know, that, 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 that we need to do. Mm -hmm. But then suddenly from your discussions today, some of my gut feelings and my thoughts as a teacher have also been confirmed in there. Mm -hmm. So I suppose now for me, now I've been on the other end and I've had the practical side, I'm actually looking forward to actually going back to the, the research mm -hmm. now and actually seeing, yeah. you know, what has come from here. So, yeah, yeah it's a completely opposite, but I'm actually looking forward to going back mm. and, and, and having a look at some of this data and, yeah. Playing index, looking through the index at your favourite topics is well, great yeah. fun. I, yeah, I really yeah. Loved it I've actually really just... enjoyed it. You said my gut feeling on <laughs> yeah. those things yeah. and my thoughts have been a bit confirmed and I know yeah. they're not, some of them might not be, mm. but having this discussion has been really interesting. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to going backwards the other way now. Yeah, and personally, I agree, Michael. I think looking at um, looking at the results, even if you don't blindly, especially mm -hmm. if you don't blindly follow them, um, is a is a really valuable thing to do. So you know, this is, I believe, so far the best single guide we have to the interventions you can make in a school. Yep. So it, it ought to be referred to in, at any mm -hmm. stage of an intervention. Mm -hmm. So you go, okay, 
we're not doing it because we want to lift student outcomes. We're doing it for another reason, and that's very, very valid. I'm more than comfortable with that. Um, I, I don't mind that you do something the opposite of what Hattie says if you've got a really yes. good reason for how yeah, it will work, exactly. other than lifting student achievement. It's a little bit hard to continue to say an intervention mm. will lift student achievement if it's not supported in here. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, be hard pressed to convince me otherwise. Cool. Thanks a lot for no. coming thank, along. Thank, uh, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for yeah. watching. Yeah. Being here. Enjoyed it. Thanks. And thank you for those yeah. people that have been streaming live. As yeah, well. thanks That's for cool. everyone who's joined us live uh, this morning. Um, and we hope um, you've enjoyed the podcast today. Thanks a lot. The Teacher Learning Network podcast is hosted by Kate Chinner and Max Grarock. The Teacher Learning Network is the not-for-profit teacher professional development organisation that's supported by the Australian Education Union's Victorian branch and the Independent Education Union's Victoria Tasmania branch. We produce online and face-to-face professional learning opportunities for educators in schools and early childhood services. We also publish books, magazines and apps to support the education community. To view a calendar of our courses and find out more about our resources, please visit our website at www.tln.org.au. The Teacher Learning Network is a membership-based organisation. Schools and early childhood services join the TLN to support the individual professional learning needs of their staff. Once members, all staff can participate in their professional learning at no extra charge. To find out more about joining, visit www.tln.org.au forward slash join. If your school is a member of the Teacher Learning Network, you can produce a certificate recording your engagement with this podcast. These are great pieces of evidence for your professional learning records. You can generate a certificate by visiting www.tln.org.au forward slash podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback or input about the issues we've discussed today or any other suggestions for future podcasts. Please email any feedback or suggestions through to me via max at tln.org.au. If you like this podcast, please rate or review it in your podcast app. It helps us reach more teachers. Have a great day and you'll hear from us again in a couple of weeks.